0: This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's
1: digital channel, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Fire the RSN Racing and Sport app and RSN. Dot net dot au. The podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and at warfradio.com. This week's episode is a special feature on the Irish women that were recruited by the CrossCoders program playing in the AFLW, not only the 2020 season but the original three from their program that played in the 2019 season. We'll be catching up with CrossCoders co-founder Jason Hill in just a moment's time. But first, the latest women's footy news. (music) Virtually all our women's footy news this week is coming from overseas. And we begin in Ireland where some comments have made news from Peter Leahy of Mayo. He is uh, the manager of the uh, Gaelic football side for the county. And he's laid down an ultimatum to some of his players who are playing both ladies Gaelic football and in the AFLW. They have to choose Gaelic football, and if they don't, they will not be selected for Mayo. Here were his comments on the Sunday sports show on Midwest Radio in Ireland.
2: Four top quality players we lost year, last year to the league. That's way too much for any team. Mm. And to consider that we are technically, we're technically in a, in a league semi-final, I think we were batting well above our, our weight considering we had four players gone all year. but And, and we battled very well in the league. But the reality of it is, if we're serious and we really want to have a go at, we really have to have players at home. You know, if you believe it, like there's a reason why none of the cork players go to Australia, because every time they pull on a cork jersey, they genuinely believe and want to win everything, and they believe they can win everything. And now people have to start believing in that too, because we have a genuine team at a top level, and I do believe. I said it, in, a, in a, you, as you probably know, in a report, recently, it's the hardest decision ever because we super girls who are, you know, kingpins to our, our decisions of what we're doing. And for me to say something like that and for our management to come up, I would say, if you go to Australia, you won't be part of It's absolutely the worst thing to have to say. But we have to move forward from what's best for Mayo, the girls who are training since November right through to March, as hard as possible. And then for people to come back from playing a professional sport Um, out of no fault of theirs or anyone else. I mean, they got the opportunity and they should take it. I always believe you take the opportunity to come in front of you. But there is a time when you have to put your county first. And we've come to a stage where we're not a a county that is just scrapping to survive. We should be up uh, notch and to be ordered to do that, you have to have everybody together. So we, we made the decision on that, and we hope it won't affect the guards who are making decisions, but the guards who are making decisions have to make their own decisions. We are not in charge of anyone. Uh, all we're in charge of is Mayo, and what's best for Mayo?
1: We'll have a response to those comments from player agent and CrossCoders co-founder Jason Hill within his interview coming up shortly. Staying in Europe, good news coming out of Germany as they start to roll back the restrictions from COVID-19. The Rhineland Lions have commenced training and it looks like this weekend they will also commence training in the Netherlands as well. So it's possibly some good news there for the Amsterdam Devils and hopefully we'll get some news soon out of France to see if the Western European Women's League will be recommencing soon. Still in lockdown over in the UK, but some busy work being done by two Australians that play for the North London Lions. They are Sarah Allen and Beck Stevens. They work as paramedics with the NHS and they were featured recently on News. Here's Beck Stevens uh, talking about a, a tough situation where she had to load a patient into the ambulance to be farewell by his wife of 40 years.
2: I was able to open the back of the ambulance and she was able to look in, and as Deb's saying, it was, it was, and everyone around had tears in their eyes. It was um, lovely to be able to help her with some closure because I think eventually, I'm not sure what happened, but he's probably passed on now.
1: The full interview with Beck Stevens and Sarah Allen can be found on the AFL Europe website. Out of Australia, no news as of recording on whether we'll have women's state league football or women's grassroots footy in 2020. The AFL did release a statement on Tuesday stating that no AFL listed players will be permitted to play second tier or state league footy in the 2020 calendar year. Now, we presume that means the men's competition. There's been nothing stated specifically when it comes to women's football. Obviously in the men's, the AFL and the state leagues run side by side where things are different on the women's side of the calendar where typically the AFLW will end and then the state leagues will begin. Some state leagues do now overlap with the AFLW considering that the women's state league sides do sometimes share facilities uh, with the AFL men's and what that will mean when it comes to quarantine hubs and what it will mean if there's staff available to run the state league competitions is still all unknown as we await further news from league headquarters on the status of Women's State League and Women's Grassroots Football. Good news out of the USA, media manager and regular on our podcast, Brian Barish has welcomed his first child, baby daughter. Congratulations to Brian and Chelsea on the birth of Hazel Francis Barish, born on Mother's Day. How appropriate and hopefully the future Philadelphia Hawk in the 2038 USAFL season. And that's your latest women's footy news. So, with this week's featured guest on the podcast we thought we'd talk all things Irish in the AFLW considering there's now 18 signed Irish women 12 out of the cross program and questions of whether they will return for the 2021 season if and when that will be played due to the COVID-19 situation and as you heard in our women's footy news bit comments made by Peter Lay the Mayo manager about making players choose between AFLW or Gaelic football there's quite a bit to get through so we're glad to have back on the line a person who's been on our podcast a number of times he's the co-founder of the cross coders program he's also the former president of the afl england competition he is jason hill jason how are you oh i'm good peter how are you going great to have you uh, back on the line in unusual times during this uh, covid 19 situation
0: yeah it's definitely different uh, not being able to see players see clubs and uh, To have, uh, I guess, football in our lives. But uh, we're all pushing through, and I'm sure, uh, I mean, times like now will prepare us better for uh, what's to come in the future.
1: We're going to be talking uh, quite a bit about the COVID-19 situation, and uh, we'll shortly get to some of the players and talking in detail about how you thought their first and second seasons in the AFLW went respectively. But I just want to flash back more recently to about, Two months ago, when this started to break, and this was even before the AFLW season ended, Uh, the season was cut short at six weeks, and of course we only had the one week of finals and then everything was called off. Even before then, some of the Irish girls had started to head back overseas. What were your conversations like with your clients, The, the Irish women that come over here, that all of a sudden were thinking, well, I'm not going through to stay to the end of April here in Australia, I'm going back home now.
0: Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. I think, and um, I think, as you know, things escalated a lot quicker than I think anyone expected. I mean, it felt like almost one day we'd heard the word COVID nineteen for the first time, and then the next day we were we were in lockdown. And obviously, um, we're talking through with all the girls what they wanted to do, where they wanted to be, the uncertainty of what was going to look like post even the end of that week um, meant that we were quite I guess quite quick with moving and quite agile with what we could do with the girls the clubs were extremely supportive Um, pretty much every club was like whatever you need we'll facilitate it Um, and things got done quickly Um, the girls got home they got put in isolation Um, we had some complications along the way Um, obviously um, Grace Kelly had um, surgery on her knee um, that she, injury that she sustained in the last round they played against the Gold Coast so she had to wait for a, a bit of an extended period before the doctors gave her clearance to fly um, but everyone's now home safe and sound except for Anya Tai who decided to stay um, for a bit longer in um, in Perth because she uh, has family there and she's doing her rehab from her ACL injury that she sustained in pre-season as well but um Credit to the girls; they were um, very thoughtful about their decisions. They know what it they knew what it meant. Um, the clubs were extremely accommodating, and I mean, everyone now is in a, a pretty good spot where they're home with their friends and family, um, and they're, I guess, now in a place where we can hopefully, as a society globally, recover from this so that uh, we can get them back on the park in twenty twenty one.
1: We should point out that the quarantine situation and uh, more stricter measures were in act in Ireland a lot sooner than Australia. In fact, when many got home, they were immediately into their own 14-day lockdown.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So a lot of them went to either family homes, to um, holiday homes, to even um, a relative's home where they could isolate. I know, for instance, uh, Eilish um, lived in their outhouse um, for that two-week period and uh, couldn't even, uh, would have coffee with her sister through the window um, each day, um, who's also uh, an elite sportswoman in her own right, Emma, as a, a rugby player for, for Ireland's uh, women's rugby team. So they all have their own, I guess, little nuances to what lockdown looked like for them, but, I mean, I catch up with them all regularly and they're all in pretty good spirits now, apart from the fact that it looks like um, sport is still a, a long way off um, in Ireland.
1: So let's look at the players that played in AFLW 2020, specifically the Orange Women uh, signed by the CrossCoders program. Before we talk about the newer players, you had all the players that you brought across for the 2019 season return. Let's talk about that actually how easy was it to get them back? It could have been, you know, very simple for one of them to just go, look, went to Australia for a year, got a 10, had some fun, thanks, I'm one and done. What made it so that they all wanted to come back for a second crack?
0: I think with the AFLW, you have to realise, and um, um, you, I I'm, know you're a big advocate on this, it is a short season, Peter. Uh, so the fact they get, eight games, nine games, 10 games, and that includes their preseason, it it leaves a lot wanting. So you sort of get the itch and you haven't really had a chance to scratch it. And um, I'd say with all three of those players, they um, improved week on week on week and almost were just hitting some of their straps by their last round. And I mean, even the extended run of games that Ailish got to the uh, grand final were just hitting their straps as well. So... I don't think there was uh, much of a concern about wanting to return. Um, they they definitely were very considerate of the fact that they wanted to come back. And um, it was a pretty easy conversation to, to have with both players and clubs because the clubs obviously saw um, the impact they'd made both on and off the field and were, were keen to have them back.
1: You bring up the name Ailish Considine. Of course, she won in her first year the premiership with the Adelaide Crows, the 2019 flag. Where did that have a bigger impact on either A, uh, trying to recruit players out of Ireland, or B, convincing the AFLW clubs to draft Irish women?
0: Oh, interesting question. Um, I'd say that the fact that we had not just those three um, all have success, and obviously Ailish had the ultimate success, but obviously Sarah and Cora have... um, Large personalities, large followings back home as well, and I think there's just a growing interest in the sport in um, Ireland, and it's not just from one demographic, one county, one age group, one whatever. Um, and when you sort of take that into consideration, people across the country thought that they could give this a go and they could potentially be successful too. So I think that was actually the biggest driver of growth and. The, I, the AFLW clubs always had an interest because of what had been happening in the men's program, but didn't have the resources or the um, the ways to, to find these girls, to assess the girls, to even know what girls would be interested in um, coming to Australia. And I know that some clubs didn't uh, work with us through this period. Some clubs did, but then still went down their own routes and, I mean, I know the amount of hours that we put into this. I know the amount of hours they put into this. And it's a lot of hard work and a lot of legwork that comes into finding the ideal player, getting them mentally and physically prepared for even the start of the competition. And then obviously going through all of the other logistical hurdles around... um people getting out to Australia to actually play. I mean, just the visa regulations alone take um, some time and some understanding to get through before you even go on to what a playing contract looks like and uh, the likes from the...
1: So, with Ailish coming back for that second year, a little bit up and down with the Crows, particularly with their form throughout the year. As we know, they were missing a large number of players due to injury. They're almost getting to the stage where they had to uh, call up for uh, train-on players to uh, fill up the numbers. Aaron Phillips managed to get back in time to help them out. Um, what was the feeling around Ailish's second year and how they, how she performed in a side's you know form that fluctuated throughout the year?
0: Yeah, obviously the Crows had a lot of um, issues on the field in terms of getting a lot of players on the, on the field and had a lot of changes. I know they went into the first game up in uh, Brisbane where they had train-ons play that had just been signed that week. So there was a lot of fluctuation in the team. Um, Ailish was being presented with a new position as well, playing across the halfback line. And there was just a lot of chopping and changing. And I think that there was a... Uh, I mean, I don't particularly believe in the premiership hangovers that, uh, people talk about in the media, but it did seem that there was a little bit of a, we did it last year, um, and I think there was a lot against them for doing it this year and that, that affected everyone's form. I think the only, the only player that can probably say her year probably improved from last year to, to this year was Anne Hatchard and the fact that the amount of just disposed and contested football she won was mightily impressive, um, but, I, I would say that there's a lot of learning that goes into this, being a, an Irish footballer in the AFL as well, just because, uh, and I think clubs forget this sometimes and the media forgets this, and even the players themselves forget this, is that they played one season, which is probably in a total seven or eight games of football. And that's the, their entire career of the sport. So to, to expect someone to go from being a rookie to being a... Uh, well-established player in in eight games, I think is fanciful in in anyone's uh, imagination. So I think there's still a lot of learning that goes into um, both the players and what they're doing on the pitch, but also um, the expectations that sit around them as well. We see these huge jumps in ability, almost game on game with the international players and being able to, um, I guess, temper some of those expectations, especially when, positions are changed and the like there's always going to be a fluctuation on performance and obviously when the the team is probably underperforming and I'm sure the Crows would be the first to admit that they didn't expect to have the season they did um, it's always going to be difficult for someone with um, any level of experience let alone someone that is still a rookie in, in most people's eyes
1: Yvonne Bonner, 33 years old, second season with the GWS Giants. And not only did the GWS Giants play in their first finals campaign, it seemed to be that the forward half, the two Irish women in Cora Stoughton and Yvonne Bonner, seemed to click be on the same page, allowing Cora actually played play further up the ground and then Yvonne closer to goal.
0: Yeah, um, there was a lot of changes, I guess, at GWS as well this year. Um Yvonne even playing on the wing um, quite a lot this year and obviously had the the injury which curtailed her season um, earlier than we'd hoped or expected. Um, But I think, again, Yvonne is one of the most, I guess, dedicated professionals I've seen in in any sport. And the fact that she's been able to come into the sport out of pretty much nowhere and then... um, and then be able to perform at the level she did, and I still believe she was robbed of goal of the season in her uh, in her first season. Um, but I think the contributions she made, although they weren't necessarily on the score sheet this year, I think they improved the the, the Giants as a whole. And I think she'll um, be extremely happy with um, with how she took the steps she did in in her second year and second, um, uh, I guess. Season of football, and obviously, when you look at Cora, I mean, the woman is uh, an amazing um, sportswoman, an amazing athlete to come back from the horrendous leg break she had in um, the winter last year and do the rehab, and then be so in like uh, so effective and so influential in the uh, GWS team is just a serious, serious amount of applause. And kudos needs to be delivered on her performance and how she goes about her, her sport um, and how she just delivers time and time again for the Giants.
1: Let's talk about Ashling McCarthy out of the Western Bulldogs. I remember... Going back to the 2018 draft, and I was scratching my head a little bit because the other Irish women, when we talk about Ailish Considine and Yvonne Bonner, they were pre signed under the rookie rules. Instead, the Bulldogs elected not to take Ashley McCarthy as a rookie, they took her through the draft to go straight onto the primary list. And we're all scratching our heads at that stage, going, I wonder why the Bulldogs have done that. We've now really learnt by the end of her second season in the competition, an outstanding year with the Doggies, uh, nominated amongst their players for an AFLPA MVP. That's her uh, outstanding a year that she had. And the one praise that you hear from her opponents is her speed. Once she's got the ball banked, she's gone.
0: Yeah, she's um, coming on leaps and bounds, and I think she's got so much more to give. She's still so young, and I mean we go back to that draft and um, we look at why she didn't get drafted onto the rookie list and that was actually a mismanagement decision from the Bulldogs. We spoke with uh, the team and they needed a ruck because their ruck had got injured. They had to use their last uh, rookie pick um, for that. And then we I know when we did the uh, the camp there was obviously a lot of interest from clubs around the Irish prospect, but most had already filled their rookie list by that point. When we when we bought the um, international players out to Australia, so we were going into the draft with with high hopes um, for not just Ash but for some other players as well, and obviously. Um, on hearing things post-draft, I feel like um, the Bulldogs beat a couple of clubs to the punch, and she could have been equally wearing um, other colours in her first and second season uh, in the AFLW. um, Yeah, her move into the midfield this year, I think, has been uh, I I guess the the making of her as a football player. She um, played a lot in the forward line in her first year, kicked a few goals, did a lot of really good things when she got into the team, and then played that last game of the season in her first year as a midfielder. And I think now what we've seen is that um, she is an extremely, extremely capable midfielder um, who I think does have the ability to take the next steps and start to push into that elite bracket. Um, She's doing all the right things both on and off the pitch. Her attitude, her uh, drive, her enthusiasm, her skills have developed beyond belief and, I'd like to say that um, as we look to sort of 21-22 seasons, uh, I think we could see the the making of um, Ash McCarthy as a real force within the AFLW.
1: We'll have more of our chat with Jason Hill about the Irish women playing in the AFLW right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with player agent CrossCoders co-founder and former AFL England president Jason Hill on the impact of the Irishmen from the CrossCoders program of the 2020 AFLW season. Now, Jason, just before the break, we talked about those that came back for their second year in the AFLW. Let's begin now looking at those that have played their first year in the AFLW competition. First of all, from yourself, from the cross point of view, can you talk about uh, how much the, the work, I guess, doubled or tripled when it came to the logistics of not only were you bringing three players out here, that number's tripled uh, over the over the course of a very successful cross camp that was held in Ireland during the uh, 2019 off-season?
0: Yeah, it was... Um... I mean, we started this, and we hoped for one in the first year, and, and a few would have been nice in the uh, in the second year. But to, to go from three to twelve um, so quickly was was, I guess, kudos to the girls that have gone before them, and to show that they can come in and be successful and be influential in basically from the moment they turn up. And then also, to be fair to the girls that are, that have put their hands up for season two in art in from our perspective they showed serious hunger and drive to get to this level they had seen it had been done and they came and they they put their hands up and they said you know what i want to, to do that as well and i mean whatever we asked of them they delivered on in, in spades bucketfuls they didn't really um ever go for wanting they didn't ever go for asking for anything of us they we we'd lay the gauntlet and then they deliver on it and when it came to them showing that talent to the clubs, it was always in my mind that we had an extremely talented bunch. And there was probably some more out of that group that could have got signed if, uh, if some clubs had made the uh, decisions we were hoping they were going to make. Um, that being said, um, as we sort of developed, I guess, I mean, you look at the placement of a lot of these players we had four go out to um, Western Australia. We had one go up to Queensland. So out of the 12, five were interstates. Um, to go with the other two, we really had interstate from Melbourne. And then we had a few more come into the um, the, uh, the Melbourne crew as well. But I mean, we spent a lot of time working and developing our relationships with the clubs. Um, we would guide them through the process. The difference between year one and year two is we had time. We ran the year one camp in September and girls had to be ready and out and ready to go by the end of October. Whereas this year we ran, well, sorry, last year we ran the camp in May. So we had plenty of time to get um, plans in place, to get flights booked, to work with the clubs through visa processes, to work with the clubs through their onboarding processes for their players. So it just made things run a lot smoother. We'd done everything before. We knew what was needed to be done. And then we could just um, almost work through with each club a bit of a tick box, box exercise of what needed to happen between um, the girls deciding they wanted to do this, signing a contract and, and turning up for their first day of preseason.
1: Let's talk about Katie Heron, since we were talking about Ashley McCarthy at the Western Bulldogs. She's joined, uh, She's joined, of course, Ashling then and obviously another international player and uh, Danielle Marshall from the USA. Katie Heron was the interesting one because not only was she coming across, she was bringing her son Joshua across as well. She managed to get in six games playing every game during the home and away season in her first year.
0: Yeah, Katie was uh, awesome. Um, I mean, even when... She put her hand up and said, like, I want to try and make this work. We spoke through her um, situation with Joshua and how much she wanted this. Just, I mean, she, she'd she thought of everything before we'd even started this. She, she was determined and she showed that she could show Joshua the, I guess, something that not a lot of parents get to show their their kids. And uh, also, I mean, spend some quality time with him uh, abroad where she, as a teacher as well, could homeschool him so he wouldn't fall behind at school. But also she has family over this side of the world and then her, her mum came over and spent time with her as well. So it became almost like a, a family adventure and a family trip to um, support Katie on on what's been a, a long-term lifetime goal to become a professional sportswoman and I mean what she showed on the pitch was nothing short of um I said spectacular. She was able to juggle being a mum, being a teacher and being a AFLW footballer when most people, I mean, they might have to juggle being a a teacher and an AFLW footballer or a student and an AFLW footballer or even a mum and an AFLW footballer, but very few have to um juggle the three together and then I'd say her on field performances um, just grew week on week on week. Um she played in a in a back line that was probably um a bit under undermanned at times and obviously the Bulldogs had their difficulties um, as they went through the season, but I think mean, not once did I see her I guess not holding her own and not showing that it's not only flash forwards that the Irish can produce, it's also some pretty steely defenders and I think when We saw that run she made against Fremantle where she worked with Ash McCarthy and kept going and then gave the ball off to Ellie to kick the goal. Um, I think that just shows what sort of running carry you can expect off that half-back flank from someone like her. And I think we've seen that when you look at uh, Aileen Gilroy at North Melbourne, but also then Sinead Goldrick at Melbourne. It's not just the midfielders and the forwards we're seeing now. We're starting to see that. Probably more traditional men's um, Irish recruit that plays off the half back line and adds that running carry to the uh, to the team as well.
1: She came across at 30 years old, and it does pose a question. She's 30. Avon Bono is 33. Cora Staughton also in her 30s. Was there any concern about age at all from the uh, clubs that were going to recruit some of the players? Considering the fact, if we look at the AFLW draft age, it's now starting to get younger and younger and getting close to mimicking the men's competition, where it's essentially a bunch of 18-year-olds that get signed up, and if you're lucky, there might be a handful of players in their early 20s.
0: No, I don't think age has ever been a concern or a question. I think the AFLW is still developing, and I think it's still the best talent wins, and that being said, the 18-year-olds are some of the best talent now, and that's... Can't be, I guess, discounted against them. It's, it's not that they're just because they're 18, they're young, and we can develop them. It's actually that if you look at their talent and how they perform in the competitions and the likes of the VFLW, in there when they join in for the second half of the season, um, they're actually some of the best performers now. So I don't think that age is ever a question. Um, I've never had that question posed to me by a club, um, and I don't think that it will be a question for for a while yet until the competition is at that level where we are pretty much full time because what is going to be, I guess, with such a short season is that we don't have a lot of time to develop um, talent. It has to be, is a bit of a win now policy. So um, the likes of Katie, the likes of Yvonne, the likes of Cora, I think they can still go on till for as long as they want to go on. I don't think there is a a time limit or an age limit like there might be in the men's game
1: um, right now. Let's talk about the Fremantle Dockers because they were all in on the cross program. Trent Cooper even flew across uh, to Ireland to be there at your camp to announce that on your tie and Kate Flood were going to be uh, their recruits. Kate Flood, seven games, five goals, and who knows if the season hadn't been called off due to the COVID-19 situation, you might have had two from two. Another player in another premiership.
0: Yeah, um, Fuddy had a great season. Um, she came over, I think she was pinching herself even when she was on the plane about the opportunities she got and I think she just encompasses the the idea of like that hard-working Irish footballer that has that talent. I mean, uh, there were glimpses you saw this year. She has one wicked sidestep and if... Um, if she can get into some space and get out and get open, you're not going to catch her and she's going to do something that's going to be damaging to your team. And I think the uh, 3-0 Dockers play a very Gaelic-like type of football where they just drive the ball forward and force the ball forward. And it gives opportunities for someone like Kate um, to get free and use that Gaelic step and take the game on. And obviously they're an exciting team to watch and we were getting equally excited about the... uh, possibility of a, another premiership and equally, I mean, you look across the other teams that were there or thereabouts with Carlton, we had Joanne Doonan with North Melbourne, we had Murray Shoga um, and with Fremantle, obviously and um, Kate and Anya, so we were, I think, mean, almost odds on to, to pick up another premiership somewhere
1: Let's talk about Anya Tai, very unlucky in one of the practice games that she did her ACL, so she couldn't step out in the park and play an official AFLW match for premiership points. Uh, for you as well, what was it like as a, an agent's point of view? This is your first player going down with a serious knee injury.
0: Yeah, it was um, pretty shocking at the time. I was watching the live stream um, on my laptop of the practice game and... Saw her go down, and uh, I mean the fact she didn't just bounce up like she normally does, or instantly sort of, and, and guess pretty much guess what had happened. Um, and obviously the uh, the the role we play then is to support the player and support the transition with the club um, from almost like the active list to the injured list, and the uh, the plan that they're putting in place to um, to basically get her back to full health. And I mean the club have been amazing. They within moments had her seeing the best specialist. They had her um, surgery done. They had her rehab plan mapped out. They had her mapped out of what the transition between what would have been pre-COVID um, Australia and Ireland um, looked like. And that's not wavered at all. So, I mean, extreme kudos to from the Fremantle Football Club um, to those that are making that happen for her because for someone to be the other side of the world and have almost the the most, the worst thing happened. Um, is potentially pretty scary, but they've been uh, amazing for what they've done for Anya and her family to keep her on track. And I mean, in terms of Anya, she's been through this before. This is her, her second ACL injury, um, but she's been the most up spirits, the most, I guess, positive human being you can imagine in this, these circumstances. And everyone I speak to at the club Um, both publicly and privately, they said she hasn't wavered from that. She knows what she's got to get through. She knows how determined she is to be back for 2021. And um, she's doing all the right things. And her personality has shone through. She's around the girls the whole time. She's been up and about at training sessions. She's been supporting them during games. So she's been just as much a part of their success as anyone has on the field as well, I'd say.
1: 21 year old Orla O'Dwyer was signed by the Brisbane Lions she didn't disappoint for them playing in all seven games uh, for this season that's six home and away and the one finals match kicking a goal as well to have her name on the scoreboard Um, how do you rate her season playing up there in the uh, hot Queensland weather
0: yeah Orla O'Dwyer looks like a Queenslander when it comes to her football shoes probably the most tanned Irish person I've ever met and uh she, she looked like she was going to be a ready-made, uh, I guess, athlete the minute she, uh, she put her hand up being interested in this. I mean, there were a few clubs that spoke to her and everyone said, there's something about this girl. She has some X factor. And I think, um, although she doesn't necessarily wrap up 20 touches a game, you see when she gets the ball, there is a bit of excitement. She wants to take the game on. She wants to kick around corners. She wants to have a snap at goal. and. I mean, I was up at Brisbane for the first game for her debut um, against Adelaide and the uh, the goal she, she kicked was uh, extremely impressive and I think everyone was a bit in shock of what she'd actually just done um, and I think that's what she does bring. She does bring a bit of X factor to that team and she does bring a bit of something different and, I mean, you would have heard the reports that she is an elite runner and she does set the bench when it comes to... Um, uh, the, the on sort of on track running and pre-season uh, capacity being a dual sport athlete in Ireland and and potentially playing both football and camogie at the highest level on the same day is going to turn you into a bit of an athlete and uh, she didn't, uh, didn't disappoint at all with her contribution to a Lions team that I think a lot of people have written off pre-season I think they Surprise a lot of people, and uh, I think they're only going to improve again um, under Craig's uh, tutelage uh, going into 2021.
1: Joanne Dunan was actually the last signing uh, out of your program going across into the AFLW for the 2020 season when she was picked up late by Carlton.
0: Yes, uh, Joanne was a uh, came for a slightly different route. She was obviously at the camp in. Um, in Ireland, uh, along with the others, had a bit of interest there. And then um, things went quiet for a a month or so until a conversation with um, AFLW then list manager, Wayne Siegman, who said that that he had an interest, but he couldn't quite make a decision based on the footage. And when I gave that message to uh, Joanne, she offered to fly herself to, to Australia for a weekend to to prove to Wayne that um, she should be on that list. And she did some workouts with Wayne and with um, Daniel and then um, joined in with a VFLW training session um, on the Monday. And then by the Tuesday, she's flown home. And uh, I actually got the call from Wayne on the uh, Tuesday while she was in the air um, between here and Hong Kong um, to to give the good news that all that hard work and effort has uh, gone into basically getting her and earning her a contract with the Carlton Football Club. And I think she uh, counts her lucky stars that uh, she decided to to risk it all and put herself on a plane, especially that it meant that she missed a couple of Gaelic training sessions when they were en route to an all Ireland final and actually resulted in her being benched for the, uh, I believe, the semi-final because of the fact she hadn't been at training to sort of pursue this dream. And then when she got here... um, I'd say she was thrown into one of the hardest positions to play in football big. Asked to play that sort of centre-half forward role um, for someone that is still learning the game. I think she she worked admirably well through those first few games. And then, obviously, as Colton continues to, I guess, progress and improve their, um, their standing and their pushing, it was hard for her to break back into that team when she had lost her place. And she, I mean, as I guess, would be the first to admit that she lost her place and she knows she wants to work hard to get it back for next season. She knows she wants to be back with the Blues and um, I'm sure that we'll see her again in the the Navy Blue in uh, 2021.
1: Talking about hard to get into a side, the uh, North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Uh, Mairead Schoegger didn't get into the side, the big show, um, but at least spent a, a year in the system. Um, possibly, uh, as I say, kept out by Aileen Gilroy, who had had an absolutely cracking year with the Ruse.
0: Yeah, obviously, Aileen uh, had a really good year, and uh, like extreme kudos to her. She was uh, she's an amazing person, and I mean, her work across halfback, I think along with Katie and Sinead um, show that Irish women can play at both ends of the ground. Uh, Mairead obviously being a, a forward um, was, I guess just kept out by a very good forward line. Um, we know she was doing all the right things. All of the, the commentary out of the um, the Ruse uh, management team was that she's doing the right thing. She's putting herself in contention and uh, equally, it's hard to change a winning team and it's hard to change when injuries don't happen and when you want to go with certain game plans and she was knocking on the door and when I say knocking on the door, I think she had a bazooka aimed at the door most of the time to uh, to really show that she can be a, a, a contributor at AFLW level and I know in the scratch matches she played against Richmond and Geelong, she, she stood out and she showed everything she's capable of and I guess it's just, she's just waiting for that opportunity and I think when she gets that opportunity, I don't think she'll let it go. And I think you'll uh, you'll be all questioning why she wasn't playing week in, week out from the start.
1: It brings up an interesting point, and not speaking about murray specifically, but it's something that you haven't had to do yet, but may soon come across your table one day which is having to look at trading one of those cross-coders because either the clubs are looking to get value from another player or B, you may have a player that may not be getting enough games looking for an opportunity elsewhere.
0: Yeah, obviously with all these managers, there's always the question around um, where's the best place for them to play football and where they want to play football. If there is an option or an opportunity elsewhere, and obviously, them conversations will happen as and when um, they arise. But I mean, equally, the Irish players, especially, are extremely, extremely loyal um, people. They don't have the option in in Ireland to change teams, to change counties. You play for where you're from, no matter where you live on um, on the in the country. So it's it's very very. Um, <laughs> alien to them to consider even um, the idea of training and look I mean if opportunities arise and if the players deem that that's the best course of action for their careers then we'll obviously look to investigate how that can be done but like you said uh, Peter it's not something we've uh, we've had to, to deal with and um, yet and it's not something I guess that is in the immediate future just because obviously the AFL has currently put a, a halt to all um, contract negotiations, all trades, everything until um, they finalise what the season is going to look like going forward and when that sign and trade period's going to be.
1: I've saved the best first-year player uh, for the 2020 season out the the CrossCoders to last, and that is Ashlyn Sheridan. Of course, we spoke to her back in 2018 when she first came out to Melbourne as part of the inaugural CrossCoders camp. Uh, in 2019, she came out to the Northern Territory of all places, spending some time up in Darwin, playing three games there with the NT Thunder. It was off the back of that that she was signed to the Collingwood Magpies. And from the Collingwood Football Club, she was nominated as the best... First year player in the AFLPA uh, uh, awards. Uh, and a sensational year for her, an impact player at the Pies. Just when it looked like the Pies were starting to get things going, again, their finals campaign just fell short against the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, and of course, the season in general being stopped.
0: Yeah, Cheryl um, had an, a, a great season. Um, obviously, I think that she did have a leg up on a lot of those first year girls by being able to play some uh, VFL football. Obviously, that gives you a bit of a, an understanding for the game, the level, the intensity, the uh, travel, especially being up in the NT, the training. So, I think that definitely helps you prepare mentally before you uh, you come out to play. And I think she used that to her benefit. And um, she performed so well, and obviously that was a lot of what we saw at that um, the camp we first hosted. And obviously, I mean, other clubs are probably kicking themselves now that they had the opportunity to draft her in the uh, twenty eighteen draft of the twenty nineteen season and, and missed out. And uh, I think she's proven that she is um, an extremely capable footballer and someone again that will get better with. Um, more experience in the game, more time in the game, her contributions to Carl, sorry, Collingwood already have been, um, through the roof. And I think that having, uh, friends like, um, Sarah at the club who've been through this before, I can help guide her through that. And also the fact that the club had, uh, obviously had that experience with Sarah allowed her to settle very quickly and then just, uh, concentrate on performance. And obviously, the, uh, the pie is now having three um, Irish players across the AFL and the VFL list with Axel and Curley. Um, I think they're starting to develop a pretty nice program for getting the best out of their Irish uh, stars.
1: We'll have more of our chat with Jason Hill about the Irish women playing in the AFLW right after this.
0: Been playing
2: for a while Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile
1: Sweet Kicks Football If you're getting ready for the trials
2: Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed. Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football
1: On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne... Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. We're chatting with player agent, co-founder of the CrossCoders Program and former AFL England president Jason Hill about uh, his clients, the Irish women that are playing in the AFLW competition. We've gone through the uh, first and second year players. Now we want to look ahead. And in fact, before this COVID-19 situation hit, Jason, uh, were any of the Irish women actually looking at staying out here for the Australian winter and trying to play some state league football to improve their game further?
0: Yeah, so obviously, um, Anya tight still here at the moment. Um, they, Her and uh, Kate Flood came out on their working holiday visa um, so that they could, could stay at the monger and um, work and play some extra games. Um, but they were the main two that were considering it at the moment. A lot of the players, especially those in their first year, were definitely just wanting to experience Australia for what it was and then go back and play um, Gaelic football. Obviously, uh, situations have changed now quite dramatically um, where it seems like there's going to be no Gaelic football for the foreseeable future. So, um, look, I think we are where we are now and then we're just looking ahead to what the future looks like to make sure that the girls are as well prepared and as well supported as they can be during this period.
1: As you said, with all the uh, contracts being stopped, the trades being stopped, usually at this time of year, Um, We start to get filtered through which players are being delisted. We normally start to get ready for a trade period to begin, uh, particularly uh, players that want to start shifting around as we talk about state leagues, playing for different state league clubs. All of that's being held. And like you had in 2019, normally around this time of year, you're getting ready to go over to Ireland to host a cross-coder's camp over there. Uh, How has this kind of affected what you do going forward with your plans to try and look at recruiting the next batch of Irish women?
0: Yeah, it's obviously changed the way we're looking at things at the moment. And, I mean, we're still looking at what the best route is that Um, we've been waiting on government advice and, uh, I guess, even the clubs to give us an understanding of of where their heads are at. Because, I mean, if you look at... um, Players, We have different players in different parts of the, the pathway, right? Obviously, we have Action Curley, who plays um, VFL for Collingwood. Lauren Bowles from Sligo, um, signed for Colton's VFL side as well um, for this coming season. But obviously, the VFL now has been put on hold and potentially won't go ahead for this season. So, we have players at that level in that pathway. We have players overseas that have um, asked for our representation that have come through different um, AFL pathways. Um, we have players um, overseas that are sort of just looking to see what a career um, in Australian sport could look like. And we're currently working through what the best way is to both help them, um, but also to help the clubs find what is going to be um, the best option to them. And then we still have to uh, consider that there might be some financial restrictions that that do make it impossible for us to to, to move on to the next um, batch, as you say, of of international sports stars because there isn't an an extended or additional cost to having an international player that we just don't have with local players.
1: There's four things that I think of uh, going forward and um, how they affect, obviously, the cross-coders and Irish women playing in the AFL-W. Uh, the first one I'll touch on, two of them uh, related directly to the AFL. We saw um, late last year the AFL decided to do their own uh, combine over there. Um, from all reports, I think half a dozen players is what they did and it was almost so secretive that the Irish press didn't actually know the combine was held until a statement was released later on to say, oh by the way, we've held a combine. Um, how does it feel, I guess in one way, to be Semi-competitive with the AFL trying to get uh, that Irish talent, but in another way, a bit pleased knowing that what you're doing is a lot more successful to what the league is trying to attempt.
0: Oh, look, I mean, there was always the understanding that the league would eventually replicate their men's combines, the women's. um, We were just helping lead the way and helping the players. I mean, the the league has a duty to the league to do what's best for the league, right? And we have a duty to the players to do what's best for the players. So we sit in what you might consider competing circles, but we actually, I'd say, complement each other as well. Because, I mean, you look at that list of, of players that were at that combine, um, probably four of them have asked for our support now in trying to make this dream a reality. So although we might do the same sort of things as we do combines, um, equally, um, we do support the players in different ways. The AFL is never going to be an agent to these players, is never going to represent them um, in negotiations with clubs, is never going to be one pushing their names and to so the clubs, whereas that's obviously where where we've been very successful because it's not just how we put on a combine, it's all of the other work that goes into um, helping players um, be front of mind in clubs helping the clubs communicate with those players helping the clubs understand and see vision of those players in not just afl um, circles but in their traditional sports circles and um, understanding what that player's history looks like both in sport and out of sport what they do in the rest of their life and there's a lot more that goes into it than just running a combine for two or three days and uh hoping for the best and sort of going from there. So um, it's it's great to see that the AFL has invested in international athletes and long may that continue. Um, obviously, with my former AFL England hat on, I'd love to see more investment and more time dedicated to the international game. Um, but equally, I mean, we're now living in a very different world to what we were living in in December and um, of last year when the AFL did put this on. So I would, uh, again, say that we have a very good relationship with the AFL. We've sat down with Nick Livingstone, with Andrew Dillon, um, and the like in the past to discuss how we can work together. Um, and the door's always open for that conversation to continue. And if we can support each other during this time, I'm sure there is a way that we can, uh, continue to see the success of not just irish athletes coming into the aflw but i mean we've seen athletes from fiji from the united kingdom from france from germany from croatia and um, from canada from the united states all sort of throw their hands up and say we want to give this a go so i mean i don't feel like we've even scratched the surface yet of what the rest of the world is capable of delivering uh, to this competition.
1: And, of course, that showcase for the rest of the world might be for at least another year now. Originally, the AFL International Cup was meant to be held in July, August this year. Of course, due to COVID-19, it has been postponed until next year, uh, missing a potential showcase of players uh, for the AFLW. Um, we look at costs now with the AFL, and we know that clubs have been directed um their overall operations—they've got to cut spending by 40 percent, and spending will get cut everywhere, from the men's to um, their state league programs, VFL, Sandfall, etc. Right. And on the women's side, there will be cuts somewhere. They've got to look to find to save a dollar. Um, it is expensive, as you said, to bring out the the Irish women. How much could that be of an impact of players either a being resigned or at least b new players? Uh, being recruited by the AFLW clubs, knowing that all of a sudden they've all got an eye on the purse string and they've got a penny pinch wherever they can as being directed by headquarters?
0: I think, uh, firstly, we need to, I guess, understand that the women's game is still run as a very lean operation. I don't think that there is mass amounts of overspending in the game. um, And it has been very much run as a way to sort of i guess keep costs low in the past there's not i can see that there will be minor changes there might be some double ups in in roles between the men's and the women's but i overall and from speaking to clubs i don't think we're going to see wholesale changes in the women's Um, that being said internationals is a more expensive line item and this all falls within the club's overall payments and overall uh, soft caps and salary caps, etc. Um, so, I mean, I could speculate all day about whether or not we will see more or less somewhere in the middle um, of the players. But, I mean, the clubs have reaffirmed their commitments to their players that they've currently got, um, and they want these girls to return in 2021. Um so I think it will just it will be a wait and see. We I mean, we can second-guess what the AFL is going to announce, hopefully at the end of this month, around what the AFLW will look like, what the signed trade period will look like, what the rules will look like around relocation. And that's not just uh, international players, that's interstate players as well, because the guidelines are pretty similar between international and interstate. So it would be hard, I think, to rule out international players and then not rule out interstate players and then it does come down to then the next question is around the viability of things like flights like will flights exist internationally between ireland and australia in october if international borders aren't open will we have to go through extra extra government regulations and to bring people into the country for work um, these are all questions we just don't know the answer to right now so um, I, I don't think I can be drawn into speculation on, on what I think. Um, my hope and my uh, desire is that we carry on with at least with what we've got. And obviously, if the opportunity for extra players to be brought into maybe those clubs that don't have international recruits right now does start to come up, then obviously we'll help the clubs and help the players explore these. And uh, we'd love to see, um, I guess a further um, expansion of of the talent that we've uh, been able to showcase from the rest of the world.
1: This rolls into, I guess, um, from the Irish point of view, one from a player, then one from uh, a manager, about uh, the COVID-19 situation and how that impacts on Gaelic football, which then in turn impacts on the AFLW. Chipperish Ashley McCarthy, who we were talking about earlier, had that great second season with the uh, Western Bulldogs, uh, told offtheball.com, that uh, she remains open to playing a third season of the AFLW, is looking forward to it, but admits that if the All-Ireland Ladies Football Championship is moved to be played later in the year, it may complicate her decision. Um, How many players have kind of gone, oh, geez, I I don't know, because they're looking at okay, where's the Gaelic football season now going to land um, if this gets pushed back later? And mind you, there's absolutely no certainty that the AFLW will actually run from February to April like it did this year.
0: Uh, Exactly. I think the point you sort of made there is this is all speculation, right? So I I know I've spoken to Ash and I know that she wants to continue to to play um, both sports and Obviously, with all of these uh, sportsmen, especially those from Ireland, Gaelic football is a love of theirs. Um, and we have to be mindful of that, and we have to be um, sensitive to the fact they don't have to make a decision right now. And I think that's the point that it probably needs to be made, is that, one, we don't know what the AFLW will look like. Two, we don't know what Gaelic football will look like. And I think uh, right now, where we don't have a lot to report on outside of, speculation and outside of what might or might not happen um, we have headlines like this which is I guess slanted towards is Ashley McCarthy coming back to play AFLW when in reality the, the question is what does the next 12 months of sport look like and once we know what that does look like and we have all the facts and they all line up then we can make um, decisions on whether or not um will be returning in what capacity there'll be a return. Um, and then obviously we'll make those decisions as we have to make them right now. We're waiting for guidelines from the AFL, um, the LGFA and the GAA have sort of set their, the original benchmarks for what they believe is going to happen. But again, it's still a belief. There's no certainty to this. And we have to make the decisions with the, best i guess information that's available to us at the time so again we could we could speculate further on whether or not ash will have to make a decision but it will be a complicated decision um i have no doubt that if i told all of the gaelic footballers today that they have to make a decision between afl and gaelic football i don't think many of them would come too quickly to that decision um being one way or another um I think they love the way that they can play both. They get to experience life in Australia while still playing that first love and having the pride of representing their county. And that's extremely important to them and it's a part of what makes them the sportswoman they are. So um, we just need to be mindful of that and I guess not be pushing one way or another because if we push for one thing too much, we might lose them uh, completely.
1: And I guess throwing a hand grenade amongst that all was some Peter Leahy, uh, the manager of Mayo's inter-county women's team, who, uh, of course, has produced five of the 18 Irish footballers in the AFLW, from Cora Stoughton to Aline Gilroy, uh, Sarah Rowe, and, of course, uh, two of your clients, Grace and Neve Kelly out at the West Coast Eagles, um, which he was threatening not to select Irish players if they choose to pursue an AFLW career, as he said on uh, Midwest Radio uh, a couple of days ago over in Ireland.
0: Yeah, and I have uh, obviously given some statements to the press today about uh, my disappointment, and this is my personal opinion on this. It's disappointment um, that this conversation had to be had in public. I don't believe this was a conversation for a public forum, and the fact that he's questioned um, in the extended... I guess, interview the loyalty that these players are showing to the the County of Mayo and their football club is pretty disgusting. Um, to, to say that someone is not loyal after they've given up 21, 22, 23, 24 years of their life, jumped through every hurdle you've ever put in front of them, delivered on and off the pitch for the County. And then also had to put up with, um, driving around the country late at night to get to training because they have to work full time um, have to put up with being thrown off um, pitches of the elite women's team by the under 12 boys um, have to put up with paying their own expenses to get to games, have to do everything that comes with being an internet, uh, sorry, an, uh, amateur athlete and not once complained, kicked up a fuss, threatened to quit, run away, turned around, they've done this with pride of representing their county and to have that question in a public forum and um, just doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with our organization and everything we stand for. We believe in giving players opportunities and not taking them away from them. And right now, I don't think that there is any logical reason to have that taken away from them right now. There is no Gaelic football. There is no county season. So it's again coming back to him deciding that, um, he wants to put something out into the press now to make a decision that doesn't need to be made. And I mean, his previous comments around players coming back as worse footballers, um, I simply don't buy into that. And I think the County of Mayo would be a worse footballing County for losing these five players or these four and core originally, um, than it
1: would be with them even for half the season. It seems to be not just him, but a few others. There seems to be just a a faction of those over in uh, Ireland. And this is not strictly to women's football either. It's probably more on the men's side than anything that just seem to have uh, their back up about anything when it comes to uh, their Irish players looking to go overseas and play in Australia. And as I said, that's particularly more on the men's side, obviously, since the Jim Steins era of those that uh, have gone across to play Aussie rules.
0: The the men's, again, you've got to remember, is a bit different. And although the men's is an amateur sport still in Ireland, um, the players do get certain privileges that come with playing county football that the women just don't get. So um, although they're not paid to play, they are looked after in different ways. And that then becomes uh, more of a question of we're doing all this for you and yet you're still turning your back on us. Whereas I'd say that right now the female players are not turning their backs. They're going abroad. They're bringing all of the knowledge back with them to help improve their county football standards. And I mean, clubs over the last couple of days, and they've all said, we have an open door policy. If the manager of Mayo or the county board at Mayo want to see and sit in and listen to how we do things here so they can take ideas back to the county with them, they'd be up for that. They've seen, obviously, we've seen through this period how much of a, a tool that can be used in any different way Zoom can be. And if the counties want to be able to, to tap into this knowledge base we have here, um, I think that they could create some pretty successful partnerships. And I think there's a lot of closed-mindedness to to this. But, I mean, those that support this see that what these girls are and they're flying the flag for... Irish women's sport and showing that some of the best level, most elite athletes come from that country and they can come into a sport, which isn't their own sport. Although there are similarities to Gaelic football, it's not the same sport and they compete at the highest level straight away. And that should be applauded and uh, not not torn down and been told to, to make a choice between the two sports.
1: And I think you just made the uh, point just there as we'll end on that note that uh, they have been great representatives for Ireland as a nation as all of them have come over, have contributed to their respective clubs and have not done anything wrong, not done anything controversial. Uh, They've been uh, outstanding citizens and representatives of their country.
0: Exactly. And I think that's just who they are in a nutshell. These are some of the most amazing women i've met some of the most amazingly talented sports people i've met and they come over here to enhance and improve their lives in terms of their sporting lives and get an opportunity to just focus on sport for the short time they're here and then when they go back they are 100 percent back on their gay football they don't spend that much time thinking about AFL, they spend their time putting themselves back in that situation. To be able to flip between the two sports for half a year is, again, an an extreme skill in itself. So I'm one to applaud these and I'll never uh, back down from uh, saying that in public, these girls should be absolutely applauded and um, shown uh, the ultimate respect for what they do.
1: Well, Jason, once again, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne Carnival. Congratulations again on all the work that you've done with the CrossCoders program and the 12 Irish women that you've brought out to the AFLW for season 2020. Again, we hope the COVID-19 situation passes quickly. And uh, therefore, if it does, we can see the resumption of that program and hopefully even more Irish women and women from other countries uh, assigned to the AFLW competition going forward. My pleasure, Peter. Have a good one. And that concludes our program for yet another week. The Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast airs every Wednesday evening, 6pm Melbourne time on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne carnival also via rsn.net.au and the rsn racing and sport app you can also find the podcast on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, soundcloud spotify the iheart radio website and app and warfradio.com just google search women's australian rules football podcast and don't forget to find us on facebook twitter and instagram just search for warf radio until next week i'm peter holden and it's bye for now